Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you enjoyed this clip from episode 29 of the State of the Universe featuring Dr. Priya Nadarajan. I was like, do you guys ever think, like, we, we, we sit here and we work on modeling black holes, but do you ever step away from the code? Do you ever step away from the computer and try to conceptualize it in your own brain? Like, try to say, what's inside? What's beyond that event horizon? What's going on back there where we can't see? And you have an interest in philosophy, philosophy of science. You, you started a PhD in the philosophy of science many, many years ago. I'm curious. Is there a way that you conceptualize it in your head? Do you ever think about this? Like, what's going on inside of a black hole? Right. I mean, aside, you know, I'll get to your first question first. The idea of how do I conceptualize a black hole? And this is what is interesting, um, is that I don't have a fixed conception, right, of what a black hole is. Yeah, me either. Convenient, convenient to the problem that I'm trying to solve. I use the conception uh, and model it in a way that's most convenient for the particular setting. So if I'm trying to understand the accretion history of a black hole and growth via accretion, then I model in my head the black hole as an extremely compact object. So an object that's surrounded by an accretion disk. And I don't worry about the singularity. When I do the problem at that level, I don't actually worry about the singularity. Uh, that it encases, right? Um, mm -hmm. Where the event horizon is matters, where the Schwarzschild radius is matters, a thousand times, 10 to the five times the Schwarzschild radius. These are sort of scales that are, you know, the sort of uh, cascading scales outside that are relevant to feeding a black hole. So when I'm thinking about the feeding problem, I conceive of black holes as a compact object. And then when I'm thinking of, um, you know, uh, black hole mergers, supermassive black holes crashing against each other, and the kinds of electromagnetic signatures and things that they could produce, I think of them very much as space-time singularities with an event horizon, right? Mm -hmm. So I think part of what I do, and I presume a lot of people like me who work on various aspects of this problem, because, you know, my work spans various uh, phenomena on various scales around black holes. And in fact, the basic question that drives me is how to connect these scales. Um, I find that my method for solving problems in general is to kind of pare them down. I pare things down to the basics. And of course, they, that is where, you know, knowledge and intuition and experience comes in, where you can take a problem and say, okay, what can I approximate? What is a sensible approximation? What can I ignore? And what is essential to solve this problem? That discrimination, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, so therefore, anytime I um, am working on a uh, black hole a problem on either feeding black holes, um, merging black holes, or the consequences of black holes, you know, the impact, their impact on their surroundings. We now know they have outsized impact on their surroundings. So depending on the context, I think of them in a bunch of different ways. As for thinking about the deeper problem of what is inside the event horizon, so, you know, I had the good fortune of um, knowing Stephen Hawking when I did my PhD at Cambridge in England. And I remember him uh, giving this very nice analogy about where we are at um, in terms of our understanding of what's going on in the event horizon. And I often quote this when people ask me, and because it really guides my own thinking. Look, I mean, this is obviously an unsolved problem at the moment. 
it's an unsettled problem as to what is the structure of the internal of the event horizon can we even think of it as being structured or not and so on right mm -hmm. there are many people working on it in fact hawking was working on it till he died um, so his analogy, which is what guides me in my thinking and my conception, is think of an Encyclopedia Britannica that contains all the information, say, you know, let's say it has all the knowledge that we need, right? And I look up, I want to look up New Delhi, which is the capital of India, and I want to find out everything I want to find out about it. I look and I read, whatever. Then I burn the Encyclopedia Britannica, but I encase it in a tight box, a box that is so vacuum sealed that nothing leaves the box, nothing enters the box. I just burn it down, right? I burn it down to ashes, but not a single speck of the ashes has actually left that tight box. So what's the situation? The situation is that, you know, the information that I just read before I burnt it down, that New Delhi is the capital of India, all kinds of, you know, details about New Delhi are in there, okay? They've not left, they've not gone anywhere. They're still there. It's just that, A, I don't know how they're stored anymore because it's no longer recognizable paper and ink, printed paper and ink. Second, I no longer know how to retrieve it because previously I would just move my hand over the papers, run my eyes, read the printed word, and move on and learn stuff, right, about New Delhi. So the fact is that we don't actually know a, how the material is stored anymore, and B, we don't know how to recover it. And I think that's really, you know, it's such an apt analogy because I think that really is even the state of affairs today. And so I just think of, you know, when I think about what might be happening in the Inside the Event Horizon, I think um, I'm often kind of stymied at how do I do I think about the event horizon, uh, horizon as having a physical structure? Um, is it, um, you know, what really happens to material, right? Because we are always thinking about material falling into a black hole. So how is the material uh, responding to the gravitational forces when you fall inside um, the event horizon? So, you know, much... In many ways, I when I even when I model what's happening with the growth of a black hole and the infalling material into it, you know, I really kind of think of the uh, event horizon. I model it. I reduce it in my modeling to basically a place where if a gas packet crosses that, then you know it's on its way in. In fact, for much of the work that I do, you know, even well further outside the event horizon, for all practical purposes. If a gas packet has made it fast about, you know, a thousand times the event horizon, um, you know, in my modeling, it's pretty much in there. It's gone. Right. Yeah. I. That's an actually an excellent analogy, and I haven't heard that before. Did Stephen Hawking write that down? Was that in his books? Because I've I've read a brief history of time, and I don't remember. No, it's not from the brief history of time. So, you know, I'm not that old. So I was in Cambridge much after the brief history of time. Right. Uh, yeah, naturally. This is, this is something he uh, probably talked about. I definitely um, had a conversation about uh, about it with him. So this yes. is uh, my recollection from a conversation. He might have talked about it at some conference or the other. It's a fantastic analogy. And, and you, we, we touched on something in here, something that that we're going to come back to. And that's how black holes sort of are related to their environment. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But first.